We are technically on lesson 21. And we're talking about the millennial kingdom, this thousand year period that my eyes have been opened up to as we have studied, and hopefully yours has as well. And then hopefully it's caused you to go deeper. Uh, that's the whole point of this is that, yeah, take what we say, great, but then also go test it and put it to scripture. And then in that, hopefully you are growing deeper in the Lord yourself. And I think what we're seeing is, is it's starting to take place. And so we have been building this, this in crazy history, this crazy story, right, of God's timeline of uh, when is Christ coming back or when is the Messiah coming back. I just want to make sure we understand right before the millennium, right before the thousand year period, Revelation 19, 11, the Messiah came a second time. Okay. Uh, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery, a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, and he had a name written that no one knows except him, himself. He wore robes stained with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Okay, did you see and hear what his name is called? So his name, Jesus, He's got another name. It's called the Word of God. How crazy is that? And then, by the way, he's going to bring armies with them. In Revelation 19, 14, the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. No stains. No laundry. And, like, they're coming. So this is the second coming right before the millennium. That's what I want to talk about. Like, I want to make sure everybody understands We've been covering that for a long time. We've been talking about the characteristics of the millennium. We've been talking about the land once Jesus comes. What's the border for these 12 tribes? What does all of that look like? Now, it's weird, and it does feel a little awkward. I have no problem saying this. We're going to back up now and go to the first coming. And then who does Jesus offer his kingdom to? And so today, we're going to talk about, he's got two audiences. Today, we're going to talk about the first audience. Jesus came to the Jews first. I think it's really, really important to understand who he is offering the kingdom of God to. When you think kingdom, I want you to start thinking here and now. I want you to start thinking millennium, and I want you to start thinking new heaven and new earth. I think what we've always thought on this kingdom language is a lot of times like, hey, if I accept Christ, it starts when I die. People think that, though, which is why we miss out on the fullness of Christ today. So I want you to think, I'm going to reiterate this. Jesus is going to offer to the Jews today, you can have a place with me right now. You could also have a place with me in the millennium, and you could also have a place with me in the new heaven and new earth. That's the kingdom of God. Think about this, you guys. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It says all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So in other words, whatever the word is at this point is the creator as well. But we already read in Revelation 19, we already know who the word is. It's the guy coming on the horse. So even if you don't know his name yet, you know, well, the word represents a guy coming on a horse with a whole lot of armies. Like everything starts fitting together when you look at it in a bigger picture. The complete picture of Christ is in all 66 books. We get overwhelmed by Revelation because we just study Revelation, but then we don't study the rest. So all I want to just say is here he is, and it says in John 1, 4, life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and I love this, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John in verse 6 who was sent from God. This is John the Baptist. 
He came as a, a witness to testify about the light, that light that darkness cannot overcome, so that why? All might believe through him. So John is coming so that they would believe what he's saying. And John says, hey, by the way, I'm not the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light in John 1, 9 says, who gives light to everybody was coming into the world. So now here's what you have. You have what's described as the word and you have what's described as the light. And this word and this light was coming in. He was in verse 10, it says, he was in the world and the world was created through him. There's so many descriptive pictures of the Messiah as the creator. In Hebrews 1, it talks all about Jesus being the creator. Well, if he's the creator, he's always been. The world, though, didn't recognize him. And it says in verse 11, okay, right now we don't know who he is. If you're just reading this context, we know he's the word, we know he's the light. And it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and in John 12, 1, 12, he gave them the right to be the children of God. So can I just hit a little pause note? You know, when, sometimes, we, <laughs> sometimes we always say, everybody's a child of God. That's not true, actually. We're not all children of God. Based on this text, only if you receive the word and the light, then you are a child of God. I just think we confuse that language sometimes when you throw in literally different religions. We're all children of God. No, we are not. And it says in John 1, verse 13, uh, to those who were right, uh, Kevin, I'm sorry, can you go back to verse 12 just to build into that for me? Uh, it says, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now, here it is in John 1, 14. This is the verse that brings complete clarity to all of us. The word became flesh and he took up residence among us. Hence what Ray was talking about. The kingdom of God is initiated by Christ living here. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want to go to verse 18 so you can see where we're landing. John testified concerning, it says, and uh, go to verse 15, Kevin. I'm just going to get to 18. John testified concerning him. And he exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. What? Does anybody get, that's a little swirly. The one coming after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Yeah, he's a creator. And indeed, it says in John 1, 16, we've all received grace uh, after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only son, the one who is at the father's side, he has revealed him. I want to just stop there in verse 18. And Okay, so the word... The light took on flesh. We know that God in human flesh, God sent his son Jesus here on earth. This is a weird thing for people to swallow. Okay, but the reality is, is by faith, that's what we believe. So who did he come to? Jesus lands his feet, not the second time, but the first time. He was born in Bethlehem, lives and grows up in Nazareth. And then does his ministry in the Sea of Galilee. As he's doing his ministry in the Sea of Galilee, who's his target audience? It's the Jews. 
Why? Why the Jews? That's what I want to unpack today if we can. Why would Jesus come to the Jews in John 1, 11? It says he came to his own. Now this word, his own, by the way, it means he came home. It's kind of a cool picture when you think about it. Oh, I'm, I'm home, guys. It's that same word, you guys, that Joseph, when he took Mary, that same language is Joseph took Mary as he's now trying to take his Jews. I'm home. I'm here. Guys, welcome me home. And it says, the scripture says, his people didn't lay out the welcome mat. He's home. And they said, no, thank you. Jesus knew the outcome of what's going to happen with the Jews. Hey, I'm home. Yeah, don't answer it. It's Jesus. He knew that was going to be the response. So why, prophetically, did he have to do this? I'm going to give you multiple reasons. And in, in all of this, I just want you to know, it's really, John Piper, um, I really respect much of what he writes about. I, I just want to unpack, this is not of my stuff on any level. Uh, and I'm okay with that, by the way. I have no problem telling you these aren't new thoughts. But I hope that we can package it in a way that makes sense as we're building this case. And so remember in Romans 1.16, okay, Romans 1.16, I think we've heard this text before, but just as a, as a backdrop for where we're headed today, Romans 1.16, Kevin, if you can go there for me, says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, that's what the gospel means, the good news, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul is writing this and he says, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, also known as the Gentile. So here's, here's the reality. If you're not Jewish, Jesus's message wasn't meant for you at first. The Gentiles are number two. You tell an American evangelical that, no, hey, I'm American. Like the reality is, is that for some reason God says, these are my people, and I'm going to send my son Jesus to them first. And I like what Piper said. First of all, if we can, and this is probably a good time to start taking some notes. First of all, I heard somebody already say it. Why does Jesus give the Jews priority? Because they're God's chosen people. Kevin, if you would, could you just go there? Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will, what? I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now watch what he says. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with content. And all the peoples on the earth will, what? Be blessed through you. Jesus is going to come to the audience that they're going to be a blessing to everybody else. So many different languages. Nehemiah 9, verse 7. Nehemiah 9, verse 7. Again, I want to just build the case. Why did he come to the Jews first? It says, Nehemiah 9, 7 says, You are Yahweh, the God who what? Chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. God chose Abram, Abraham. And he says, okay, fine. If that's the chosen people, I'm not going to stop that as my focus in the New Testament. Okay, just a couple other ones. Deuteronomy 14, verse 2. This should all be review for most of us, just as a, as a backdrop as we get into other cases. It says in Deuteronomy 14, 2, 
for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth. Ray, when you read that, and Jesus is here, does that stop? No. Go to Exodus 19, verse 5. Let's do that one if we can. Exodus 19, verse 5. Again, all I'm trying to emphasize is, is just uh, the, the layers of God's chosen people. Now, if you'll listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession, what? Out of all of the peoples, although all the earth is mine. So God's not saying, I'm rejecting the earth. He's just saying, you, out of all of them, are my chosen ones. So when Jesus comes for 32, 33 years, who's he going to go to first? The Jews. Okay, number two, I love this one. This one to me is, I, I just, I, okay, it's the, you guys know the Cleveland Indians, they had to change their name. Did you know this? To the Guardians, whatever, okay? That's another whole story. But the Jews are the guardians of the scriptures. Okay, Piper describes it well. The guardians of God's revelation of the scriptures, Romans 3, 1 and 2. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. Well, if Jesus is going to come back, who's he going to start talking to? The people that have the word of God. That makes total sense. The Gentiles, they didn't have it. Well, yeah, we did. No, we didn't. Now, Romans 9 verse 4 is another layer here that I'm like, whoa. Well, okay, why would he come to them? They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. Now, this is like a list. This is why he's coming back. They belong to them the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. He's coming back because they know, they should know everything. They've been entrusted. They're the guardians. They're the Jerusalem Guardians baseball team. (laughs) And so here, I'm going to do a side note. Okay, in all of this, Jesus has a mission. How do I know that he's coming to these people first? He said it, Matthew 15, verse 24. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's so clear about this. He replied, I was sent, quote, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Quote, that's it. That's my target audience. And by the way, My disciples are going to do the same in the New Testament. He says in Matthew 10, 5, and 6. So not only Jesus was sent, but Matthew 10, 5, and 6 is another home run. He said all these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't don't take the road leading to the other nations and don't enter any Samaritan town. So not only does he say who to go to, he says don't go to them. He said instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're kind of like, why does this and how does this all fit with the end times? Oh my, does it ever. So, okay, I love Piper's list. They came to God's chosen people, the guardians of the scripture. His mission is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they even label them the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They don't say the house of Israel. They don't just say the sheep. They say they're the lost. They need help. They're wandering. Okay, number three, to go back to this. 
Uh, why? Why does Jesus come to the, to the Jews? Uh, it's pretty straightforward because the Messiah, well, let me make sure I articulate this. The Messiah, guess what? He comes as a Jew. And in Romans 9, verse 5, the ancestors are theirs. And from them, the Jews, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever, and amen. And by the way, came the Messiah, who is what, Craig? What does that imply? He's God. He's God. If you want to have a card conversation with the Jehovah Witnesses about John 1, go to Romans 9, 5. They do not know what to do with this verse. They have all kinds of their targeted verses. And if you throw them off one little step, but you guys, this is talking about the Jews. If I am a Jew, I'm going to come to my family. If I've been gone for a long time and I get to have a family reunion, I'm coming to my family. So why does the Messiah come? Because he's coming to the family. He's Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. He's not Christian. Sounds like a weird statement, but I think we think that sometimes. Ray, you want to clean up anything? No, you're, <laughs> you're uh, on the Jewish baseball team knocking it out of the That's ball. right. The <laughs> Jerusalem Guardians. Here we go, right? Okay, number four, John Piper. Again, this is uh, not from me. John Piper, and this is a really clean one. Why would Jesus come or why would the Messiah come? Because salvation is from the Jews. Okay, John 4, verse 22, I believe. Salvation is from the Jews. John 4, verse 22 says, You Samaritans, Jesus is talking right to the woman at the well. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Why do we pray for the Jewish people? Why do we long for God to move? Because salvation came from them. We are a benefactor because of them. And in fact, in Romans, it says... We have received a spiritual benefit. And it says financially, we're supposed to sow into the Jews because we've received a spiritual benefit because of this right here. There's so many fun layers to this. And Romans 11, verse 17 and 18. Okay, Romans 11, 17 and 18. Now, just if you ever want to study in depth of Israel and their roles, Romans 9, 10 and 11 are like, whew, they're the baseball manuscript. Romans eleven seventeen 17 says, Now some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive branch, that would be Ray, the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. The cultivated olive tree is what, Ray? Israel. Israel. Do not brag that you're better than the branches because you're grafted in. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root. The root is Christ, Right? That is all of substance for the Jewish people that we are grafted in. The root sustains us because of the Jewish people, because the Messiah is from them. And then Kevin 11, Romans 11, verse 24, just to make sure we have it. For you were, if you were cut off from your native wild olive and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I mean, it's a fair statement to use the word adopted. Yeah. We get adopted into the family party. We're not a part of the original family. That's weird, but because of Christ, we can be. 
And then we can be on the same playing field with the Jews. Through Christ, that's when we are one. Does that make sense? But originally it wasn't for us. It was for them. All right, now, number five. Okay, why would the Messiah come to the Jewish people? We've listed four already reasons. I like this fifth one. Well, Paul evangelized to the Jews. Okay, just you have this first century apostle. Go to Acts 13, 44 through 50, uh, 46. Every time Paul would come into a new region to articulate the gospel to a new place, he always went to the Jews first. He was just modeling Christ. Acts 13, 44 says, The following Sabbath, almost a whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas uh, said it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. But since you rejected and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Paul's life is a model of Christ. John 1, verse 10 and 11. So if you interact with the Jewish people and talk through this message and they don't receive what you're saying, no, it happened to Jesus and to Paul as well. Finally, number six, the final one. Uh, and this is a, I had to really process this one. So why are the Jews a priority? Because they are going to be a priority in final judgment. Okay. Oops. In final judgment and final blessing. Kevin, can you go to Romans 2, 9 and 10, if you don't mind? So why go to the Jews? Because of the judgment, the final judgment, and uh, in fi a final blessing. It says, uh, Kevin, if you can uh, back up, just let's give a little context if we can. Romans 2. Uh, there you go. Verse 8 will work. But wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth, but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So they're going to see and experience final judgment first and what? Final blessing first. The only thing I want to just say is this, in Luke 12, 48, this is maybe a little bit not out of context, but I want you to hear this. But the one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Much will be required of everyone who has been what? Given much. And even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. The Jews have been entrusted with everything. I'm going to hold you accountable, he says. The judgment's going to come to you first, and so is the blessing. I think it's really important. So hopefully you get this imagery of why did Jesus come to the Jews first? I want you to understand this for an end times picture. It's really important that we get this. God's chosen people. They knew the word. They were the guardians of the scripture. Well, the Messiah came as a Jew. Salvation is from the Jews. Okay. So when you're talking to a Jewish person, I want you to start using their language even like this. Paul might, that, this one might not work as well. <laughs> Did you, didn't you know Paul shared with you guys? Oh, that's not a good one. But you can go to this one, that there's going to be final judgment and blessing to the Jews first. Now, that's the part one aspect of this. Now, go with me again back to John 1, if you would, uh, verse 11. 
Remember, it says he came to his own, and then what happened? His own people did not what? Receive him. So Jesus knew he didn't have to come. That's why I love this song that we're singing, but he did anyway. He knew he was going to come and get rejected. Like, would you spend 32, 33 years of your life pouring into people and know that they're not going to receive you? Half of us, most of us would just bail. If we're in a business and you're not seeing any fruit for 15 years, you're like, this, is, this isn't working. But if God's called you to that, you stick it out. Amen. Noah built an ark for 100 plus years. I'm pretty sure he probably thought he's off his rocker. And then it rained. He goes, I knew all the time, God. <laughs> so, all right. So let's keep going here. So why did the Jews, why did they say no? Why did the Jews say no? It's important. We already know why Jesus came to them first. But what was the deal with them? Why did they say no? Well, when you understand the Jewish culture, uh, first of all, I, I'm going to go current and then I'm going to go backwards, okay? In current culture today, if you interacted with a, a Jewish person in New York City, if you started talking to them about Jesus, they automatically associate Jesus with Gentiles. They automatically associate Jesus with Christianity. So culturally, if I connect with Jesus, I'm saying I'm a Christian. That's not what we're saying at all, but that's what a Jewish mindset would think. Okay, that's kind of a cultural mindset. By the way, today you could estimate 14 million Jews worldwide. Okay, this comes from the Jews for Jesus. They would say in this, maybe, maybe worldwide anywhere from 350,000 to maybe a little over a million Jews that actually believe in Jesus. Maybe. That number is so hard to figure out, by the way. But there's 14 million Jews. Now, another reason is why would the Jews say no? Well, culturally, they would say no. That just doesn't work. Historically, they would definitely say no. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple dates. This is not because I am in any way a historian. Uh, but, you know, in, in 1096, the very first crusade that we would talk about, 600 Jews were killed. And who do they associate that with? Christians. This language of, I'm going to kill you unless you convert. So historically, they associate sometimes Christianity with killing. 1492, the Jewish people were banned from Spain unless they converted. You throw in Martin, Martin Luther, you guys, I know many of us would think Martin Luther was the best, but man, at the end of his life, he, he flipped. He went another whole way. He started saying literally that you should burn the synagogues, and he went all anti-Semitism. It's crazy how far he went. So what do Jewish people do historically? They say, oh, your great leader, Martin Luther, he hated us. Why would we connect with you? So why do the Jews say no? I'm, I'm going backwards here, culturally, historically, but now religiously, why? Well, remember, Jesus knocks on the door. Guys, I'm home. And it says in John 1:11, his own people did not receive him. Don't you dare answer that door. But remember, they're guardians of the scriptures. They should see all of these things that are at the table 
And in this, they, they functioned in a really interesting way. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 3, uh, it says that the Jewish people despised, Isaiah 53, 3, I'm going to cover a lot of this here. He was despised, this coming Messiah that the prophet Isaiah talked about. 700 plus years, right, Kevin? Isn't that right? 700 plus years, this prophet Isaiah prophesies about a man, a Messiah coming. And this coming Messiah is going to be despised and he's going to be rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like somebody people turned away from. Can I put in parentheses? Because he's knocking at the door. Now go to Psalm 22. Do you guys remember our prophetic Psalms? Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 22, verse 6 and 7. Same language, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. How did the Jewish people get to that point of saying no to Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus came, they wanted him to deliver them from Roman bondage. They wanted freedom. So if Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, surely now is the time. Let's go. And so they had this expectation that he was going to set up kingdom shop. So they stopped believing that he was the guy. And in fact, if you go to Matthew 27, 22, it got so bad that the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the guy because he wasn't implementing. Now, what king would sit on a cross or hang on a cross? So they started shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Sometimes our plans are never God's plans. You see, the Jews wanted Jesus to do it right now. And God had a bigger plan than just the Jewish people. Go to Romans 9, Kevin, 30 through 33, and then we'll jump in. It'll be the same language you're talking about. Romans 9, 30 uh, through 33. Why? It says, what should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, the Jews, pursuing the law for righteousness has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and, rock, and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So what was happening from a religious reasons, the Jews believed if they were going to connect with the Messiah, it was going to come through what means, right? Yeah, works. The works. Yeah. So if the Messiah is saying, hey, trust me, believe in me. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we've known forever. Romans 10, where Ray wanted to go earlier, Romans 10, 1 through 4, says the same thing and builds the case. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. So when I say this language, you guys, our heart behind this whole message is for every Jew to turn to the Messiah. And Paul says that. That's my prayer, that they would see salvation. I testify about them, that they have zeal for God. They're passionate, but not according to knowledge. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, right? Second Corinthians, where it talks about a veil over their eyes, and it talks about even today when Moses is read. 
They can't see past the law. And so they couldn't see Jesus offering. Actually, what's amazing, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was just by faith. Yes. And this whole bloodline uh, got up under the law and they could not see that righteousness was only available through grace, through Jesus. And so it blinded their eyes and they wanted, they wanted to be released from physical bondage without being released from spiritual bondage. That's right. Basically, Esau tried the same thing. He sold his birthright, but then he wanted the blessing. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Romans 11, 7 and 8, it says this. This just kind of, uh, kind of summarizes all of this. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for. They didn't find what they were looking for, but the elect did find it. So they wanted the king to establish the kingdom here and now. They didn't find it, but the elect did. Who's the elect, Ray? Well, it's, it's anyone who received Jesus. Anybody who received Jesus. That it can be a Jew, yep. an individual Jew, and it can be an individual Gentile. The rest, though, it says, were hardened. So we're talking about corporate Israel. Okay, the rest were hardened as it is written. Now watch how he describes why do the Jews say no. Look, Ray and I have had, we love this conversation. I'm surprised he's here today. Because <laughs> this verse right here messes with your mind. Why are they saying no? Because according to this scripture, a part that you have to put into context is that God gave them a spirit of insensitivity. Eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. So somehow, someway, God is saying, you know what, guys? The time's not right for you to receive me yet. Right? <laughs> Come on, that's a half. Yeah, a... yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the simple way that I like to look at it is... Just so you know, this is what started yeah. our end times discussion <laughs> over 10 plus years ago. Yeah, and we're still talking about it. <laughs> uh, so the same sun that hardens clay softens butter. Amen. So it's not, the, uh, it's not that God is, in my opinion preventing them from believing it's that he's presenting truth and if i reject truth my heart automatically hardens and so you know it's kind of like if you old-timey refrigerator and you know you put in a fill up an ice tray and put it in the freezer next morning you get up there's ice well who made the ice well you could say the refrigerator manufacturer the person that poured water in the tray you know uh, or the or Edison for inventing electricity, and it depends on the lens you're looking at in a particular scripture yeah. on who it is. God says that His word won't come back void; it's going to have an effect one way or the other. You get into even Pharaoh; it says he hardened his own heart four times before it says God hardened his heart. And so there's a there is a consequence to rejecting uh, the grace of God. You 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 don't come out of that the same; you become a little harder. And the more you hear the message, the harder you get if you reject it. And so, is God hardening their heart? Yes, because He keeps releasing the Word to them. Thank you. And they keep rejecting it. Thank you. We're, we're actually more on the same page as we've grown in the Lord. I almost want to get up and hop. I know. I, <laughs> Notice I didn't do two hands, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's 10 more years. We're getting there. Okay, this is important to know, though, you guys. Because God's heart is for the Jewish people. But this, to me, all of this begins to make sense when you look at Romans 11, 25, 26, and 27. 
If you go to verses 25, 26, and 27, so that you will not be conceited, brothers. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. This whole thing right here, by the way, is a mystery. That's what Paul said. Why are we talking about this? Because this is a mystery, but I think it's becoming more and more clear. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel. So a partial hardening to me means there's going to be some Jews that guess what? They say yes. Not a full hardening, but a partial hardening. And why? There's a partial hardening that my people are going to say no so that you and I have a chance to be grafted in. So that you and I have a chance to say yes to the Messiah that came for the Jews. A full number of the Gentiles has to come in in verse 26. And in this way, because of this, it says all Israel will be saved. Partial hardening, fullness of Gentiles, all of Israel will be saved. I'm going to say it one more time. Partial hardening of the Jews. Fullness of the Gentiles. That fullness of the Gentiles, can I describe this very well, please? It's when the gospel goes forth to the nations. So what is holding back the Jews' salvation? Us. The fullness of the Gentiles. And then it says, back in 26, in this way all Israel will be saved. It is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He'll turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Whew. Okay, to me this is a... <laughs> Jesus came to the Jews, and even though they said, no, I have a plan. Matthew 23, go there if you would. Matthew 23, 37, 38, and 39. Matthew 23, 37, 38, and 39. This is Jesus' heart for his people. Like, he cares for them. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's not going to happen until the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. Partial hardening, fullness of the Gentiles. Oh, by the way, yes, Jesus, we now see who you are. We now see you as the Messiah. Now, this is an interesting context. Matthew 10, 23, okay? Matthew 10, 23. I know we're a little bit longer here, but go to Matthew 10, verse 23. It says this, when they persecute you in one town, this is Jesus talking, escape to another. Like, keep going. He says, for I assure you, you will not have covered the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, remember, if we go back to this little cheat sheet here, what's the mission of Jesus? To go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And do you remember the, the mission of the disciples back then? It was to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So now Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, Hey, by the way, you will not cover the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Ray, you want to take a stab at that? The only thing I want to add to it is just like we've continued to talk about, you know, we think of things in a day. And it's actually a progression yeah. of time. Yeah. So that, that's the only that's thing good. I would add is that the Jews, and the closer we get to the end, more and more Jews are going to start to receive it. Amen. Uh, you know, there's a really interesting text um, in John 12. 
Kevin, can you go there for me? John 12, 37. I, I just, this is, this is the strongest thing the Lord showed me today, and I'm going to go here right now, and I just, I'd love for you to pray. Uh, John 12, verse 37, it says, even though Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, the Jews, they did not believe in him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said, Lord, who, who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe because it says, uh, Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes. We've already kind of shown that, right? Or understood with their hearts and be converted and, and I will heal them. But Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about them. Watch this. In verse 42, it says, nevertheless, many did what? Many did believe in him. It says to me that in this partial hardening, people of the Jewish faith can still turn to the Messiah. They can still turn to the Messiah based on what they hear. And I want to give the Jewish people right now, I want to give you five verses. I want to show you the reality of the Messiah from the Torah and the Tanakh. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes, if you would, 720. I want to give you five simple verses. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, there's certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins, which means that there is no perfect Jewish person. There's no perfect Gentile. But from your book, Solomon says, there's nobody, right? There's no certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. We all sin. Sin is an issue, and it's the only issue. When you go to Deuteronomy, when you go to the words of Moishi, when you go to the words of Moses, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, Scripture says this, fathers are not put to death for their children or children for their fathers. Each person will be put to death for what? His own sin. So if sin, if everybody sins, Jew or Gentile, Scripture says, according to the prophet Moses, everybody will be destined to death based on our own sin, not on our generations. Sin leads to death. But what I love is that Moses, he talks about the importance of, I want to go, you guys know this as a Jewish people, you know the importance of the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of a creature is what? In the blood. Life is in the blood. And I've appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood blood that makes atonement. So what Moses is saying is, is that you know over all of these offerings, over all of these sacrifices, the only way it works is because of the blood. And so what he's saying is, is that this blood will remove the death that you and I are destined for. This blood will remove this sin that Moses' son Solomon, uh, David's son Solomon is talking about. The love of the, uh, really, the, 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 let me say, the blood removes this death and sacrifice, the death and sin that we all deserve. But when you go to this prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talked about there's going to be a coming Messiah that's going to take care of all of this. And the prophet Isaiah says, but he, this Messiah, this person was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. So this prophet prophesies about a Messiah going to actually be crushed and pierced. Why? So that you and I could experience eternal peace. So we the Gentiles or the, the Jews should be looking for a person that's doing this. And Jeremiah, the prophet that you greatly respect, says this in Jeremiah 31, 33. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my law within them and write it what? On their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. When we make this shift of having faith in this suffering servant, it will establish a new covenant in our hearts, no longer on the tablets. And that's when you can experience life. Your own prophets, the writers of the law, all pointed to the coming Messiah. And Jesus knew that more than anybody. That's why he came to you first. He knew you would know the word because the word is Jesus himself.